Hello, this is Tom Pacello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales, content, and value enablement journeys and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Doug May. He is the Vice President of Global Value Acceleration for uh, the data and AI platform company, Databricks. And Databricks is, in case you don't know who they are, one of the fastest growing software companies, not just today, but in history, which has just been absolutely amazing. Uh, Prior to Databricks, Doug was with another great company. Uh, He built the business value consulting and supporting go-to-market expert functions at Splunk. And that was for nearly seven years he held that role. And he helped them to grow, another record growth, from 200 million to 2 billion, just absolutely outstanding. Uh, before he was formally building value programs, value enablement, value acceleration, Doug spent 10 years uh, in the trenches. So he was an enterprise software salesperson, 12 years building and leading software sales teams, including chief revenue officer for uh, companies like Bit9 and other early stage software companies. We are here to discuss value acceleration program experiences, and I couldn't think of anyone better to invite in to do that. Doug, welcome. Oh, Tom, it's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So first thing, I want to know a little bit about the relatively new value program that you created at Databricks. Tell us about the group and the practice. Yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting team. Um, it's, it's got three parts to it. Um, you know, we, we share a mission, which is all about helping, you know, our Bricksters, which are our employees, our customers and partners, not only identify and quantify value, which many value programs are focused on, but also accelerate the realization of the outcome for the customer. And so the three functions include a business value consulting function, which is very common. People probably know what that is. And, and they help the customer and the sales team write the value story. Mm-hmm. There's another part of the team which does our executive engagement programs like our executive briefings. So we're facilitating a venue where the executives can come together and hear the value story and understand it. And then the third function is where we actually invest our own resources as a company, some of our best technical talent. We make those investments in our customers to help accelerate their growth. And the reason this matters so much in the world of Databricks is Unlike some SaaS and subscription models, we are purely consumption-based for our, our revenue model. Mm-hmm. So the more the customer uses, uh, similar to cloud computing models, that the more they use, the more uh, they they spend they spend with us. So uh, value becomes a critical critical component. Awesome. So when you look at all of these groups, Doug, how many folks are part of the teams? Just give us a, a ballpark idea. Yeah, roughly today we're a little over twenty, and we'll be growing uh, that team. Uh, into the 30s next year. Awesome. Or, so, this year, we're already here this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The performance of the programs, um, I brag a lot on you when others say, hey, whose program should we look at? You know, take a look at Doug May's program. So, man, the level of adoption and scale you've been able to achieve, not just once, but twice, starting at Splunk and then again at Databricks. Um, so many who know you want to know what is the secret to your success? And what's the secret to the programs that you've created? Uh, can you share some of those secrets? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm an open book. Um, <laughs> nothing I've, I've put together to license yet. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, first of all, obviously, you know, it's not me, right? It's there, there's an incredible team of people. Um, and when you hire great people, they do great things. Mm -hmm. But when I look at the recipe that we collectively have been successful with over my last 10 years, it's, it starts first with the top-down support in the organization. You know, if you're, if you don't have the C-suite alignment or a fundamental agreement that value is an important function, you will be relegated to some corner of the organization. You'll probably get some resources here or there, but you are not going to be helping to drive the strategy of the organization. You're not going to participate in the evolution of the sales or the customer support functions. And I think that's, so that's number one, to, at least for me, that, that's like a requirement for me. Um, the second one is really about just making things simple. Um, when, when, when I go after building these programs, it's about focusing on the persona of where we're going to start serving. So, um, there's no better place for me to start serving because of my sales and sales leadership background to start with the sales organization. So we start mm -hmm. there and, and, you know, we try to demystify business value. I think in many, for many salespeople, they think this is some foreign language they have to learn. And as you and I know, it's, it's not at all. It's a very common language. And if you ask the right questions, you can really understand how a piece of technology can change a process or a function and then find a way to connect it to business. Yeah. Um, and, if you don't make it simple, they'll never use it. Um, so that's the other part of it. So whether you're talking about teaching the methods or, or building systems to automate things like value creation and, and the business case proposal generation sort of stuff, if it's not easy, they won't use it. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are kind of two things. And then when I think about um, kind of getting the program started, once you have these, these, these foundations in place, it's really about talk to customers. You know, when I joined at Splunk and the same thing when I joined at Databricks, the first thing I did was, was be the number one person on the ground so that I had no team when I started because I wanted to hear the stories myself mm -hmm. and work with salespeople and work with the SEs and customer success and our partners and our customers. And by talking to customers, if you do it enough, and I remember in Splunk in 90 days, I talked to 45 customers and here at Databricks in my first 90 days pre-pandemic, um, I flew 90,000 miles going out and seeing and talking with customers. And what happens through those conversations is the patterns emerge, the most urgent problems that they're solving with your solution. And so what you do is you take all that back, you build an easy to understand framework, because again, it's gotta be simple. I can't teach them, you know, Python. You know, it's gotta be, here are the three ways customers get value. And if those three things are simple, then you just bang the drum and, and you rinse and repeat and repeat and repeat. That's in their onboarding, you do it in the all hands calls, you know, you do it, uh, you know, it's even in our business case output, you know, the, here are the three ways you get value. So, um, so that's another critical thing. And then I guess the fourth thing, because uh, I could probably make a list even longer, is, you know, success of the program oftentimes is about messaging uh, the program internally. So, so you, when you really think about it, you really need to define your program, educate the stakeholders, who are you know, involved in, the, in my case, you know, I report the CRO of the organization. So great, I've got his support, but I also need to talk to the head of customer success and marketing and product, our CEO. You know, there's a bunch of folks that you really need to understand their interests, how you can align with them. So once you do that, <clears throat> then you just have to kind of keep the, the, the heartbeat going. You know, you measure your success and then message it. 
And that's making sure that you're aligned to the corporate goals. You know, you measure and attribute the impact of your function. Um, send out the quarterly updates or monthly updates, um, and even get uh, great. You know, get your success stories and and you know quotes from the salespeople. Like this changed our relationship. We doubled the size of the deal. Couldn't have won it without the support of the the value consultant. You know, those sorts of things. And 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 all of those together help you really manage it as a program, which gets you then you know, invited to the table for strategic conversations and also should help you when it comes time to get additional resources so they can continue to do more and, and help the organization go further. At Splunk and Databricks, did you have the executive buy-in to start with? And what would you recommend if, a, you know, kind of a group doesn't have that buy-in, kind of how you get it, maybe some of the tips and tricks there? Yeah, um, in both cases, I had it, but what but both were different um i'll say in one in in the case of splunk you know i had the my immediate uh you know manager full support obviously hired me and then our chief revenue officer who he worked for had his support but not much engagement with so mm -hmm. you know a lot of the things that we did um they were getting message to the c-suite but it wasn't me doing it and it was part of something else. Um, at Databricks, you know, when I came in and reported directly to the CRO, I remember even within my first uh, couple of weeks, you know, having dinner with our CEO and, uh, you know, exchanging emails and thoughts on this stuff. And, and so to me, it was, it was much more, um, it was easier to access the C-suite um, at Databricks than it was at Splunk. What happened at Splunk though, was the impact we had at a groundswell level was so amazing over time that, before I knew it, they were coming to me. You know, you mm -hmm. know, Doug Merritt, our CEO, would would sit down next to me at a QBR, and you know, we'd start talking about some of the things that we were working on. And before I knew it, he's talking about them to other people, right? And it and you get it was kind of a grounds up sort of mm -hmm. uh, a method. And you know, at Databricks, where the company is very different than Splunk, both are technical solutions, but both have different cultures. You know, they come from different founders and beginnings and and up through time. And, and the, the Databricks solution is probably more technical. So, um, you know, the executive support's important, but also we have to win the hearts and minds of the technical people in the organization. Otherwise they will see us as, you know, a nice to have and not a must have. Yeah, and that's where that kind of continuous marketing in your last point, your step four is so important where- Correct. You gotta make sure you're self-promoting this and doing it all the time. And, and, and the key, line. Tom, is to, is to do it, sorry to interrupt, but the, the, the yeah. key is to not just message your impact, but message the impact that you know has value uh, for that audience. Yes. So it's really, it's really and again, in, in the world of Databricks, it's different because our, our one of our co-founders is our CEO, so very, very technical, which means that in order for us to show the right value to him, we have to, it's not just about dollars and cents. You know, it's about other sorts of things. We're helping, you know, uh, attribute value to particular features or capabilities of the platform, which then help highlight that to the developers in the organization who developed it. Um, and it has a different sort of uh, tone. Yes, he cares about the dollars too, but you know, there's other things. And so just like in any sort of campaign, you need to understand how your, your buyer uh, in air quotes, you know, views value, you know, what, what is beauty to them since it is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, and the constituents that you're supporting are the sellers, the partners, the 
as well as the customers. So it has mm -hmm. to resonate in both. Otherwise, you're not going to get the adoption first and then ultimately the usage and the messaging across second. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And then I want to touch on the second and third points, which I think is really key to the program. We've seen many value consultants get in and create very sophisticated models, very sophisticated spreadsheets, um, you know, 170 benefits in one of them that I, I've encountered. Um, I think that was about the most, 180, I think, at one point. I think I might have worked at that company. Yeah. <laughs> I've I seen that once in my life. You can get pretty intense, right? And, and when you're dealing with a solution like a Databricks where it can apply so many different use cases across the business, and we're seeing a lot of platform companies struggle with this, how do you keep it simple? So what, what are the things that you did to, to make this rather sophisticated platform seem simple from a value standpoint? Well, the one thing is I never sought to seek um, scientific accuracy. You know, forecasting value, um, we have to think about what the purpose is. Mm -hmm. So when we use it in a pre-sale capacity, it's about um, helping the customer make a decision uh, on which platform is right, where do they get the most value, but maybe even more importantly, where does this sit in the priority for them? Is it something they should invest in now or later? So when you do that, you again, I, I want to got to dance carefully here because you got to be accurate and, and, and the numbers have to be reasonable. Mm -hmm. But our job in the presale is to give the champion, help them to believe the numbers. Mm -hmm. So what we do in that you know, case, number one is three benefits. Great. There's only three. There's not 170. Um, that's the first part. Number two, we use benchmarks, you know, real customer stories and other things to give them some sense of confidence of what to expect. So while they've never used our solution, they know that a thousand other people have done it and here's what the benchmark says. I think it's really important to do that. And um, you know, the, the next part of that is really you know, helping them tell the story. So it's putting the you know, the slides or the document together in such a way that it tells a story, much like the way any story is architected, you know, you know, we introduce our characters, there's a challenge, there's the overcoming of the challenge, there's mm -hmm. the happy ending. And when you think about those sorts of things, and you put them all together, it makes it easy for somebody to say yes. Um, and, and so all that that's really kind of how we make that in a pre-sale world. Now, the other purpose value serves is in the post-sale world. Um, we want to make sure that the customer receives that, which, so, which is why the numbers can't be completely fictitious. Mm -hmm. We can't use back of the napkins here. We can't go, hey, what if it was 1% of revenue? Um, that doesn't help. So uh, the reality is we have to be grounded in something that is actually measurable and is reasonable and, and believable. And then that becomes our baseline. And then after the fact, we have to come back at some reasonable interval um, when the customer preferably is not purchasing something else, you know, not at renewal time and not at upsell time, but gather the information to then give them a point of view on what they've already received. And then that just becomes really, really critical uh, going forward. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about partners and some of the challenges and what you'd recommend getting a program together with partners, because partners are very important to a lot of companies that we work with, a lot of the Evolvers community you know, it's a lot harder in some ways than getting internal sales engaged. What are some of the success factors in putting together a good partner value program? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean you got it right. Part, part, you know, doing partners well in any aspect of a partnership 
it really just creates leverage for the organization, right? That's the whole reason partners, you know, organizations bring partners in. It's like, if we work with you, we're, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, amplifying our sales team or, you know, amplifying our PS team or helping, you know, helping us scale better. Uh, and the reality is that, you know, because they don't work for you, <laughs> you do have some sort of challenge around enforcement, you know, mm-hmm. at least with uh, Databricks sellers, I know that, Working with our head of sales performance, I'm able to understand and influence, you know, what we train people with and what the sales leadership team holds them accountable to, and all that stuff. But with a partner, I got none of that. Um, the second thing is is mind share. Like they probably, if they sell other products, uh, you know, that's why they're there. They sell yours, but other things. They don't just sell your product. Mm-hmm. So they don't have 100% of their time dedicated to you, which means they don't always know your world anywhere near the level you do mm-hmm. um, and depending upon the organization if you know if you're talking about you know resellers versus um, global systems integrators you know there's a varying skill level too of the team so you have to be really careful so I, I think the way we've looked at this is number one you've got to seek sponsorship so much like when you're building a program inside the company you need that top-down support mm-hmm. you've got to do the same thing in a partnership you've got to have the right level of support because you need a place to go for somebody who can potentially enforce, uh, uh, or say, um, reinforce, you know, the standard and the expectation, um, you know, do why we do it, where we do it, how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, se- the second piece, and you know, much like I talked about earlier, is focusing on the persona. You know, by making things simple, where it's in, you're going to lower the barrier for people to be able to talk about value, to use it every day. I mean, the solutions that we've built with you, Tom, over the years have been so powerful because we, we made the, we spent the time on the user interface. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I used myself as the, you know, kind of the guinea pig, if you will, I still consider myself a salesperson and my mind is a little scattered at times. I don't spend hours learning how to do something generally, uh, unless it's, you know, skiing. Uh, but you know, if it's, uh, if it's something for work, you know, I might not spend a lot. So it, but if you can get me early and make it easy for me, I'll jump in and use it. And if I have quick success, you got me for life. So we focus on that. I think with partners, it's no different, right? They have less attention because they have multiple other things going on. You got to do that. And then, you know, again, measure and, ma- and message your success. That, that part is no different. When, when a salesperson hears a success story from another salesperson, whether that's in the partner org or in our org or where we do them jointly, which by the way, we do at Databricks, we do joint success story shares. So, you know, when we close a, a deal with Accenture, you know, we're highlighting the Accenture team and the Databricks team that work together and promoting that. Um, I, I just think that sort of, uh, you know, messaging is really, really critical. And you mentioned as well, I want to explore this a little bit more deeply, you know, not just thinking of business value as pre-sales. Um, talk about the two other kind of big aspects. One is marketing and mm-hmm. how maybe companies should be taking greater advantage of value right away with customers and marketing and then post sales and customer success and what you think some of the secret sauce is with both. Yeah. I mean, in the world of marketing, you know, I think the, the relationship of value and a value function to the marketing function is completely no brainer. Think about it this way. If we, whatever you start talking to the customer about, is what they are going to expect throughout their entire journey. So if you're talking about product names, features, and functions in your marketing, 
And then you get engaged in evaluating the product and all of a sudden this value team shows up and wants to talk to you about, you know, your revenue and your turn rates and all these things, you know, it gets confusing yeah. and sometimes there can be friction. So there's a huge win to be had by aligning with marketing. So when you get your common benefit framework, when you get your benchmarks and your customer stories, you have to have the buy-in of marketing to make sure that the messaging shows up on the website that at the very least, for example, one of the big things I started um, when I got involved in here when I was at Databricks was our customer stories. Mm -hmm. um, we're a technical company. Not surprisingly, all of our customer stories talked about 300% performance improvements and you know, reduced the, the query processing time to you know, by 20%. And, and it was all things that you know, would, have, would certainly be valuable to an engineer, mm -hmm. but not to someone writing a million dollar check. And, and so that's one of the first things we worked on is making sure that we could connect these things in our customer stories, which were oftentimes where people would start to learn a little bit about Databricks. Oh, I saw you did this with Shell. I wanna learn more, get the video, watch the video, look, read the, the overview and that sort of thing. So really, really important. You know, at Splunk, we ultimately put a, um, uh, a small calculator out on the website, which allowed you to you know, allowed customers to come check out, oh, if I use Splunk for security or IT, here's what I'll get. And it was designed to, you know, just wet their whistle and get them interested. And that could be a pathway in to their uh, exploring Splunk as a solution. So yeah. um, really, really important function to, to work with marketing. On the marketing side, I think that working on the messaging and the congruency there is probably mm -hmm. the most important, less so the calculator, but we see a lot of value groups starting with the calculator there as opposed to the story. Yeah. And I think getting the story right, getting the customer success evidence right is more important than typically a calculator. So that would be the Absolutely. one thing I want to highlight in what you said, yeah. which I think was the order that you wound up doing it in, correct? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, the calculator came much, much later on in the, in the work. Yeah. yeah, and we don't have a calculator today on the Databricks site, mostly for that reason. We're getting all the customer stories right and you know, we're, we're kind of working on that. We're working on yeah, I agree with that priority. I mean, and you know, the ROI guy, maybe I should not think that, <laughs> especially because I'm a tool vendor, right? But I, I think getting the story, getting the customer success, right? Getting that fixed is more important. Yeah. And then talk about post-sales and customer success and how you're using value specifically in the program to kind of validate realized value at Databricks. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the world of SaaS, subscription, consumption, um, you know, the whole the old world of you know traditional perpetual you know sales has, has gone away where you sign a big deal and then you just pay a small fee annually for support mm -hmm. um, and i think therefore value has the role of value has been you know you know amplified it's much much more important today that we understand what we expect and then someone is there to prove it so so we certainly have engaged from the beginning in helping customers after they start their journey to you know look back and and do that but these, these customer success engineers, you know, Databricks and the customer success managers at Splunk, they're talking to the customer every day, every week. And so a couple of things happening. One, you got to teach them how to listen for really important things, nuggets of information, a successful launch, a successful uh, outage that was mitigated, a successful uh, you know, machine learning model that went into production and drove all this revenue. When you hear those stories, you got to capture them. Right, those become really, really critical. And so we teach them techniques on how to listen for that and how to capture them. But also as they're working with these with our customers, we teach techniques on uh, getting metrics out. So you know, someone might say, oh, wow, this new feature is so good. I do my job like five times faster. 
you know, it's like teaching them how to get more out, how to scratch a little bit further and really uh, dig to where they can get something. Um, also, what we've done is we made our, again, our tools are so easy to use, they're in their hands. Mm -hmm. So we teach them on how to use those tools and then they can effectively go in and perform a value realization on their own, you know, with the customer's information because we've hooked up our instance to all of our systems so we know what their usage has been and what their use cases are. And it's powerful for a customer success engineer to be able to bring that story to the table. Um, and at Databricks, we had to start with that on a simple level because most of our interactions are with technical people. But over the time I've been here, we start to now weave in an executive briefing motion and QBRs that we have with executives, which means the executive doesn't wanna talk about how many support tickets you had or some of the data challenges they've had. They wanna understand the impact. And so we start off every one of our QBRs with a readout on you know, how, their, how their value realization is coming along and the tools that we use and the content and the techniques, of course, we teach them if we're not engaged directly, um, they use to help tell that story. Yeah. Really, really and important. Again, if we think about it as, as we did the marketing motion here in customer success, it starts with the stories, then the metrics then mm -hmm. the kind of more detailed quantification that would support the EBRs because there is, Correct. again, this progression of alignment, education. And I've seen a lot of customer success groups, if you go and just hand them a tool, maybe not being ready for that because they don't know how to engage on business value yet. It's, yeah. We think it's foreign for sellers and partners sometimes. It's way more foreign to a customer mm -hmm. success person who came over for maybe implementation and professional services or customer support, right? They tend not to be yep. business people. They tend to be a lot more technical. I'm sure at Databricks, that's very true. Absolutely, yeah. completely agree, yeah. Yeah, so we have to kind of elevate the maturity a little bit, um, I think, to get there. Now, when it comes to business value program, a lot of what folks struggle with to scale the organization, and you talked about a lot of the, the kind of practices to scale and tools to scale, but you still need people to run the programs, mm -hmm. to engage with customers, to build out the program. Where the heck are you finding the value <laughs> consulting talent nowadays with such demand in this area? Yeah, no, it, it's been exciting to see how many people are actually doing this role and how many companies have actually invested in value programs. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to feel like I've been in on the early days of it, you know, starting yeah. out over, over 10 years ago. Yeah, but, me too. It's so um, awesome. Yeah, you, you must be thrilled. You come <laughs> exactly. along. Yeah, finally, right? <laughs> You're a trendsetter, Tom. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, it, it kind of comes down to, it, it will always depend a little bit on, you know, uh, the type of solution you're selling, how technical it is, what the selling motion is, all, all of that, you know, sales cycles. But what I will say has worked very, very well for me and where I've been primarily focused on enterprise B2B software and a more technical solution. Um, you know, enterprise being complex sales. So there's lots of buyers, complex organizational dynamics and transactions that can be seven and eight figures. Um, and, and what I look for, really, it's, it's the role is broken up into threes. And these are like, Venn, it's a Venn diagram. They're, they're overlapping things. No one ever hits the exact center. But as long as they have these three things, you're good. Number one is they're one third salesperson. They have to have some sales acumen in them. And all that means is they've been around a sales process. They have some understanding of what that's like. They know a little bit about what it's like to work with customers and they can ask really good questions. They can do discovery and they listen. Um, unfortunately, even a lot of salespeople don't listen very well to their customer, but the reality is if they could have this sales acumen, 
they will be really, really good. Now, part of that is also being a little bit persuasive and being a good presenter. So that's that's my one third salesperson. The second part of this is uh, you know, being one third solution engineer. So you don't have to be able to put your hands on the keys at Databricks or Splunk or wherever you know I've done this before, but you should be able to understand how to connect a technical benefit to a business benefit, which means you do need to understand at least at a high level what the technology does and be able to articulate that. And so we look for people like that. The third part uh, is that they have to be one third business analyst. So they have to be good with numbers and help to, uh, are good to um, how they put those numbers together to form a story. And I think if you put these three things together, where you end up getting people from is really, really a broad universe. There are some former solution architects, there are former finance people, there's former salespeople, there's former leaders. We have been finding a number of former management consultants mm -hmm. because they possess all of these things. You know, if you, uh, we, you know, a couple of our consultants have come from Accenture and, you know, they spent years doing IT consulting with clients. So number one, they have the acumen of how to work well with a client and how to discover and do that. They understand the technology because they've been doing technology consulting and they have to put these stories together. Right. So, so really it's a great framework. Now, the one thing they lack is they've never, if, if they've only worked at Accenture or some other consultancy, they don't know what it's like to work in a software company, which is a little different. Um, so you have to be a little bit weary there, but it's worked out quite good. But I think those three things are a great place to start when you're doing the scanning. Now you should also be talking to your AEs, you know, your salespeople. Um, they have likely worked with great value people now, you know, maybe 15 years ago, that was harder to come by, but now it's, it's more common. I get referrals all the time internally from our salespeople and many of those turn out to be fantastic. Um, and the other thing I just, I would, when, you know, recommend people don't underestimate, but look at some of the functions inside your company today. You know, we've had people approach us from our customer success team, from our solution architect team. I had a salesperson on our team uh, as well. So again, lots of, uh, you know, those areas of roles you would look outside, also look inside because someone might have been there for four years and they want a new challenge or they might have a passion for this. And once they see the function starting, they might want to join. So I think that's the other uh, way I would look at it. Doug, one of the areas where I've seen a little bit of feedback come back is customers and the ability to maybe attract. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got to be careful with that relationship, right? Um, but maybe a customer Definitely. has moved on. They're not a customer today, but they were a customer. And they tend to have a very unique perspective of, hey, we were on the buy side of the equation. We understand exactly what the business impacts were or weren't. We knew how to sell it within the organization. Have you had any success there or any recommendations around that? So without question uh and so you you correct me because that's probably would have been the last one that i wanted to mention but uh yeah so we've definitely i've hired from a customer before obviously very selectively and only with executive sponsorship and all those things as you mentioned um but the other thing that i look for in a profile uh, is very interesting to me is someone who has been on the other side so there we we hired someone just a year ago who's a value consultant but prior to that spent 15 years in it yeah and just to your point They've been handling those conversations from vendors, working internally in the organization to help others understand it. They've dealt with the challenges internally and, and it makes them so credible, yeah. you know, because they can say, well, when I was running enterprise systems, here's, here's how we did it. And that helps to build a relationship, which helps to build trust. And if we think back to my original premise, which is our role is not scientific correctness, it's to get them to believe 
and to help them succeed and helping them believe starts often with trust. Do they trust you? And so uh, I think that's a really, really good point, Tom. Yeah, yeah. definitely in look, book, look inside the customer book. Customer yeah, yeah. In the book of all selling frugalnomics, you know, we talked about in the past, it was 50% emotion in the buying decision, mm-hmm. 25% logic and 25% trust with amygdala overload that we face today, amygdala overdrive with whether it's market conditions or supply chain issues or business issues or health issues or home issues, uh, health issues, every, everything that everyone's dealing with, trust has become elevated where it's much more than 50% of the decision-making nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, any way yeah. you can get a value consultant role where they can get that empathy and trust and build that quickly, I think that is the most important criteria to look for. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Absolutely. So we talked about the success and kind of the secrets to that. I want to pivot a little bit because I know I've learned a lot more from my failures and my successes at times. It's been a lot more pointed learning. Um, what would you have done differently? And looking back at Databricks, at your programs, at, you know, even at Splunk, what would you have done differently or better if you had to do it all over again? Yeah, it's a great question. And I look back and, you know, one of the things, uh, I think one of the things you do or I do, I should say, often is when I look back on a great experience, you know, I kind of romanticize it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that was really wonderful. And I, so I look at my time at Splunk, I'm, man, that was amazing. Look at all we accomplished. There were so many points in time during that journey that were tricky and challenging. And, you know, you wanted to pull your hair out or, or jump off the first floor of the building. <laughs> don't, don't, you don't want to kill yourself. You just want to hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but the, the reality is, um, I've looked at some of that stuff and thought a lot about it. What, I, what I'll say about my experience at Splunk is I wish we moved faster. Yeah. Um, we were learning so much uh, and we didn't know exactly where we were gonna end up. Um, we had a philosophy and a, and a vision in terms of we wanted to evolve the selling motion, but we couldn't specify exactly what that was. So as we found things, we did them and we evolved. We won awards, we built an incredible practice what we did at Splunk in six and a half years, I've done at Databricks in two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously lessons learned always help you do that. So we've moved incredibly fast, built a really you know, strong, big function. Um, at Databricks, I think you know, the, the lesson learned, and I mentioned it earlier, like both technical products, but a different culture. I think I underestimated the power uh, that the culture has on you know, embracing value and the heart of the Databricks culture is technical. Uh, you know, we have six co-founders that created Apache Spark and are still, you know, leading the organization and, frankly, the open source community in so many ways. That if you just focus on business value, um, people might get the wrong impression uh, that you're saying, "Don't talk about technology. Talk about value." The reality is, it's not an or; it's an and. Mm-hmm. And I think it took me a little bit to to figure that out, and I probably should have known that better going in. I certainly you know, met these folks and knew I was in technically over my head uh, because it was uh, really, really interesting. But then again, the reason I joined was I thought it could be one of the most complex value problems to solve. Um, so I think that's really it. It's, it's, it was cultural there. It's like really understand your culture and make sure you align to it. Because if you don't, you could build a great program that isn't gonna, you know, you're missing a lot of the ability to, to even grow faster now. We've had tremendous success, so I'm I'm not complaining by any means because uh, 
um, it, things, things have been just wonderful. So Yeah, but I love highlighting that because you do have to be conscious of the culture and you may want to get them to adopt business value. Business value is the main message, but maybe it's still technology first with here's the business value impact of that technology, right? And make exactly. that alignment yeah. really tied tight and illuminated so that it's it's that and step. Here's the technology and here's the problem it solves and the use case and the impact it has because you kind of have yeah. to be speaking in their language first. Yeah, and, and like I said, if you can start to think about, so val value instead of just what the customer is getting, but also value attributed back to a product feature or function, function. that's how engineers engineers see a lot of, uh, of their importance reflected. Yeah. Uh, when they hear about a win and the win was because of the feature that they built, um, it's really powerful. And when they hear about so much value coming from a customer that's attributable to that feature or function or product, it's really rewarding for them. So, so that's that's the thing. You just got to kind of have to understand your culture and, and make sure you you connect all the right things together. Yeah, kicking off a new year, wanted you to take a look forward. Uh, we were doing a bunch of kind of look backs at lessons learned and practices put in place. What's next for your programs to drive continue to drive success? Of? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a really good foundation. We established ourselves. Um, we're embedded in all the right things, you know, our onboarding programs, all the way through to our, you know, customer journey through customer success, and that's exciting. But now it's about tuning. So we we think about scale. Uh, we're growing still about 100% a year, which is phenomenal, and also one heck of a a lift. It's very difficult. So uh, I thought I knew high growth before, when Splunk was growing 50% a year, and I got I got schooled in that pretty quickly here at Databricks because it's moving twice as fast. Um, so the, the kind of a couple of big things are number one, we're going to, you know, and we're doing this now, but we're, we're really doubling down as organizational alignment. And what I mean by that is, you know, your value consultants, much like salespeople kind of need to have a territory. You've got to define where they work and who they work with. Um, you know, so we're trying to align, we align the value consultant to a leader in the organization. And this year at Databricks, we're doing a lot to organize our go-to-market by vertical. Mm -hmm. So now we'll have a value consultant who owns the financial vertical and one that owns the retail vertical and that sort of thing. So, so we align to the way the sales team aligns. And we also are doing a, a biweekly cadence with the sales leaders so that we understand what is top of mind for them, where they're struggling, where they want us to spend our time. You know, we want to be a really tight and uh, close member of the team, make sure we're working on the right, uh, the right opportunities and the right accounts. You know, what we found in the past by looking at some of our, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, deal analysis, I guess, is based on certain sizes, there are parts of our you know, certain bands of customers that we were only engaging with maybe 30 or 40% of the, the accounts in that. Well, if, if that's the, you know, what you're doing for your one to $5 million accounts, you might be missing something on the value side. So we're, we're really aligning ourselves to make sure we're capturing and working on the right opportunities. Next, we're working on, you know, standardizing the BVA catalog. I think, you know, the value assessment has become something that's almost universal. People talk about it, but there really are multiple types of BVAs. There's mm -hmm. no one type that fits every situation. So we have defined three very specific uh, types of BVAs that have um, their foundings in common situations that we've seen and the deliverables we will uh, provide will be defined and we'll set that expectation with sales in advance. Um, and it's, that's about us making sure we deliver just the right amount to each situation. And so we have the time to spend on those large enterprise accounts. 
Um, we'll also be putting guidelines in place around which deals we're going to engage in and which ones we're going to drive people to self-service because self-service is a powerful tool. What I'll tell you about right now at Databricks is our self-service platform is our most productive value consultant, um, you know, by far. It's, it's at least right now it's producing at about two times the rate of a person wow. in terms of the business it's covering and yet delivering still with, uh, with the same impact, which is about a six times higher win rate uh, when you don't use a value consultant or the uh, value platform. So really, really powerful. And then the exciting part of, I think, what we're doing this coming year is really continuing our innovation. Uh, I don't like to sit still too long with something. I don't want to run the same play a thousand times. Um, I really want to be thinking constantly about the future. And so innovation is part of what we, we do and part of what I challenge our team with. And so one thing we're trying to do this year is become much more prescriptive so uh, we achieved this at Splunk, but we want to do it here. And it's a much more complicated scenario here. But the ability to go in and to assess a customer mm -hmm. and prescribe a list of use cases, the value that they will be realizing from that, um, and then help them with the plan to actually achieve it. And I think all of that wraps itself into uh, more of a strategic advisory role that we want to be able to provide to our customers. So if we do the self-service right, we scale the type of BVAs and the work balance properly attached to the right ones, we'll have the time and the ability to be involved with some of our largest customers who could be committing to you know, nine figure transactions this year. Mm -hmm. And when you start to do that, you're really applying the smartest people to the most complex problem. And as you go down our value tree, applying you know, the right level of resource against the right, the right uh, reward back. So I'm really excited about that. And then of course, from that, we'll look to automate that prescriptive motion even further so we can put it in everybody's hands, not just in those that are signing up for 50 or $100 million. Yeah, I think looking at the coverage model, how many deals you are engaging in key, I think that's one of your key measures. And then I love the, mm -hmm. the measurement, obviously, of a six times higher impact, which is a testament to the business value consultants that you've hired and the automation that uh, we've helped you put in place. Talk a little bit about the health check assessment, the diagnostic assessment, and the importance of that nowadays. It is one of my favorite recommendations right now is how do we get, you know, even from a BDR, SDR standpoint, right from the beginning, maybe doing a simple health check uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to just a, hey, let me demo the solution to you. And then as one of the first engagements or second engagements doing discovery around you know, this kind of capability maturity around use cases and helping sellers to identify what are the, what's the low hanging fruit within the organization where they don't have capability maturity? What are the use cases that we should be applying towards? Putting some structure to that. Yeah, no, it, it's a super point. I mean, I think some people think value consulting is all about just creating an ROI spreadsheet. And once you have the spreadsheet, you're all done. And the reality is that could be it, but that would be certainly a waste. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really, really critical that we take advantage of what this role can mean. And, and what I mean by that, and I got this from my very first experience as a value consultant. So when I was at BMC a little over 10 years ago, BMC Software, I was a regional director. And uh, then I got hooked up with uh, a guy named Dick Thomas and we started a value consulting thing because we know the organization needed it and all that stuff. Well, first meeting I went into as a value consultant, I'll never forget the vice president of the customer was at the end of the table, the sales rep, the SE, and our regional vice president were there. And then there's me, the value consultant, and I'm presenting back the findings from our interviews and the model and the ROI. At the end of the meeting, we all stand up 
at the door and the VP walks by the sales rep, the regional director and the regional VP gives me his card and said, that was a great presentation. Can you send it to me? And to see the looks on their face, they were, they were befuddled. They were like, what, what? I mean, he just met you. What? He's giving you his card saying, follow up. Like we've been trying to get with this guy forever. And it, the role the value consultant can play is really powerful. And what I mean by that is they're viewed differently, the buyers viewed differently by the customer. So what we can tell them back is really powerful. It's a long way of getting into how the power of, of a health check or a maturity or capability assessment is critical. Um, it helps, it, it's part of the consultative approach. And this is part of how you gain the trust of the customer. So when we come in and we propose a data and AI capability assessment, which is a form of a maturity assessment, and it's very straightforward and easy to do. Again, our design metaphor is simple, simple, simple. Um, and uh, you know, when we do that, the customer goes, oh, they're not trying to sell me a product. Yeah. They're really trying to help me build my a data and AI program you know, to the, to the place where it's going to help me succeed. And that might mean I have a weakness in my strategy because I'm not connected to the business perhaps, or it means I don't have the right skills on my team. Uh, so I'm not, even if I get the right technology, I may fail because my people don't know how to do what they need to do. Um, you know, so we, we cover that maturity assessment across six areas of a data and AI program. Obviously it has the input from lessons learned from thousands of customers and um, it's, it's, uh, it's been really phenomenal, but it's really useful, not only in the early stage of a customer uh, trying to say, you know, where are they maybe weak and where could they use the most help, but also as part of that motion yeah. with existing customers that where the customer success team is working, you know, making that maybe once a year uh, QBR that you have with the customer be, um, you know, if you're, you're doing them quarterly, but maybe once a year, you do a slightly different one where you actually come in and say, hey, let's measure your maturity. Let's connect it back and compare it to last year. Here's the areas you've improved in. Here are some recommendations. I think customers absolutely value that. You know, we we have six thousand plus customers, and we see this stuff every day. I think part of the reason someone does business with us is they expect to learn from yeah. those other six thousand relationships that we have, and and hopefully that they'll not make the mistakes that some of those other ones have. So it's a, it's a really useful useful approach. Well said. Doug, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? Well, I think it's mostly around, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a box. <laughs> if, 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 you know, this maybe sounds a little corny because it's like, it can be as big and as important as you want it to be. Um, I believe, and I see it and from my experience in doing this the last 10 years, that value has the potential to really become the center of the universe in your company because it's the universal language. Sales teams can talk about value, marketing teams, the customer success teams, your product teams, mm -hmm. uh, your finance teams and HR teams, everyone can talk about value. That's something that connects. And so if you can do it right, you can become, I mean, literally uh, have a seat at the table in terms of helping guide and advise the strategy of an organization. And I think that's where you know, make sure no one puts a, you know, puts a, a boundary or a barrier in front of you. I mean, you know, what I tried to do, when, especially when joined Databricks, there was no specific charter given. And we don't, we didn't necessarily ask for permission. We don't, we go out, we do things and we get the support and we rally the team and we get the champions and we get the right, you know, visibility we need to on an executive basis, but no one, 
No one tells us to do something or to not do something. And it's because we're giving them a vision. We're taking them on a journey. And I think that's the power that we have. Um, very few uh, functions, I believe, can do that in an organization um, because it's the universal thing that kind of uh, connects everyone. So yeah, that's my thing. Part yeah, of what you're saying big. is, yeah, no one's going to maybe anoint you to that, I think is a term I've heard you use before. Right. Um, you know, it's a mission that you can take on yourself and you can make it as big as you want. And then as you were talking, I was thinking about the quote, you know, no one puts baby in a corner. Uh, <laughs> make sure they don't do that with your value program, right, Doug? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I've seen some where that happened to them. Um, and it's yep. really disappointing yeah. because um, it, it'll get relegated to some part of the organization where then before you know it, they're hiring really junior people in it who've never done it before. They're internal, virtual only um, spreadsheet jockeys. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if it fits the type of sale, I suppose that's fine, but it can be a heck of a lot more. And yeah. um, so and, uh, and we've know. seen that with success at Splunk at Databricks. It, it brings yeah. me to the point where, you know, like the uh, CEO of Coupa puts out a book, Value as a Service, because he thinks yeah. value is that important. You know, that's kind of the elevation that I think the forward thinking. Yeah executives today have about value and you could be the the holder of that mission within the organization yeah and i think that's you know back to the importance of culture and top-down support but that's what i saw right away at databricks you know they were only about 100 million in arr and they were thinking we need to build this program out yeah. um you know whereas other companies i think don't start doing that till much later in the journey yeah, so uh, very forward thinkers. What, you've labeled your program differently because Correct. of that, right? You don't call it yeah. value management or value consulting or even value enablement. You've gone one step further, which is? Value acceleration. You know, we, we chose that very specifically because I didn't want to paint it into a corner. Mm -hmm. If it was value engineering, it might mean something very specific, but it's about accelerating and it's before, during, after, it's the whole process of the land, adopt, expand, renew motion with the customer. So it's, yeah, I felt like that was the, that was the term. Doug, how can people reach and find you? Um, it's easy, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can look me up there, but uh, you also feel free to reach out to me at doug.may at databricks.com. Doug has shared over the years, many of his experiences to help not just his own programs grow, but help the community grow. So thank you, Doug, for all your support, making the Volvers a great growing community. Well, you're the inspiration, Tom. You're the, you're the ROI guy, keeping that voice of value um, out there and in front of people and reminded why it's so important. So I'm just trying to follow in your footsteps. Oh man, thank you. Humble, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, and Doug, until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.